0: Thank you, Kent and Barbara. Welcome to our evening service tonight. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll give you a minute to find that book. It's easy to find the book of Psalms and just turn to the right. When you get there, you'll find it in a couple books. I started this series a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, so we will be in the book of Ecclesiastes in our Sunday night services now for a number of of weeks. I think this is a good study for 2004, 24, excuse me, uh, the year that, that we're in, uh, 3,000 years after Solomon wrote this book. And it's amazing, isn't it, how relevant the Bible can be after so many years uh, because it's inspired by God. Let me give you a quick review of what Uh, we were looking at last time because we only took the first three verses as an introduction, but we wanted to learn about Solomon. We wanted to learn about uh, the book and so forth. And what we know is, of course, that Solomon wrote three books of the Bible. And having looked at Solomon's life and what he says in these three books, uh, some have surmised, and I think it's it's, uh, probably true, that Maybe uh, as a young man, Solomon wrote the Song of Songs. It's a song of love, of falling in love. And uh, perhaps he wrote that as, as a young man uh, in those days, you know, when we fall in love and marry and so forth. Maybe in the middle of his life, he wrote the Proverbs. We probably use that book of Solomon's more than, than any of his others. We uh, read it constantly and quote it and teach from it and preach from it. Maybe he wrote that in the prime of his life. Uh, you know, those, those years when, when it just seems like we're on the top of our game, so to speak, and, and uh, we're doing the best uh, work of our lives. And maybe that's when he wrote the, the Proverbs. In between there sometimes, we have that episode in 1 Kings chapter 11 of Solomon's backsliding. And there we read uh, some terrible years in his life uh, when he strayed from the Lord and was involved in, in uh, polygamy and adultery and idolatry on the high places and, and uh, something you never think could happen to a man like Solomon. And yet it did. And so many have thought, I think it's a good uh, thought, that uh, then perhaps after that, when he turned back to the Lord and came back to God as he knows he should, that he writes this book of Ecclesiastes. And he writes it uh, looking at his former days, saying "This this is what life is like without God in control. This is what life is like, if you begin to get pessimistic about things, uh, you'll start thinking like this. So I think that's probably uh, a, a proper way to, to look at this book. Now, as, as uh, I look across the pages of my Bible, I have a study Bible, you, probably, you may have also, and you'll, I see, you know, the Introduction to Vanity, Then where we're going to be tonight, the illustrations of vanity. And then in verse 12, the vanity of striving after wisdom. And in uh, chapter 4, the vanity, or 2, the vanity of striving after pleasure, the vanity of great accomplishments, the vanity of hard labor. All of these things come in the first two chapters. And you can see this almost pessimistic uh, point of view toward the things of the world. Well, we're going to look at that tonight. And as I say, I think, I think it, it's a, the, these illustrations that we'll look at in uh, verses 4 through 11 really do describe our world. In this year that we live, in 2024, we, do we not have wars and rumors of wars everywhere? Does it just seem like no one cares and everyone's fighting with one another we have immorality and licentiousness that we've never seen in our lifetime anyway Uh, and in maybe the history of our country hatred disobedience lawlessness uh, in amazing ways uh, in our cities and and all around and then antipathy toward the people of God antipathy toward Christianity and antipathy toward uh, the Jewish people Uh, almost maybe exactly the kinds of things that Solomon saw in his life 3,000 years ago and he's going to describe them again so here at the beginning uh, of the book and in uh, chapter 1 verses 4 through 11 that we're looking at tonight you have an outline in your hand or, or on the screen and I, th- I think Solomon presents life as profitless. Remember verse 3, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Why do it? What is, what is the, uh, the reason for it? And I think Solomon realized in his life that he tried to live life that way and it had no profit and no joy and no benefit. And he's going back over it and looking at it. So notice uh, the outline that I have. And, and tell you the truth, folks, it, it's a challenge. I'm not, I'm not kidding you going through this book. It's a challenge to try to put any kind of organization to it. It just seems like one thing after another, he's pouring these thoughts out on us. And uh, we're trying to, to grasp this and, and figure out why. So notice that I'm going to divide this into two things. Uh, nothing changes and nothing is new in these thoughts that he has. As he just, as again, my study Bible has illustrations of vanity. Here are just some things that he looks at the world and says, why do we have these? Now, also, I'm going to do something that Solomon doesn't do here, but he will before he's at the end of the book. I at least want to put some words in at the end of each of these thoughts from a positive point of view. Uh, maybe trying to answer what Solomon eventually will answer, but try to do it now so that uh, you don't go away tonight saying, boy, that preacher's the most negative guy I ever sat under in my life. I want to give a little positive at the end of each of these thoughts, too. So notice uh, here, in, in, uh, first of all, in these four thoughts of that nothing changes. Verse 4, one generation passes away and another generation comes but the earth abides forever. We, we have a generation. Uh, you know, I, personally, I don't, I don't like the ideas of labeling generations like, you know, we're the baby boomer generation and, and the millennial generation. The fact is, for 3,000 years, there have been those kinds of people in every generation. Uh, I, I like to think of it later or, or better as, uh, I'm a, I was a child. And then I was a parent, now I'm a grandparent, and there will be people after me who start out as children, go to parent, go to grandparent, and so forth. Those are the generations. And Solomon looks at it and says, you know what? Uh, I've gone through that cycle, and what have I profited? I've gone through it, and uh, nothing ever changes. And my kids will go through it, and then they'll die, and their kids will go through it, and then they'll die. And what's the purpose, kind of is what what he's saying here. I often think, I've done so many funerals in my uh, years of of ministry, that uh, it it just happens. I mean, I can say it's a shame, but it just happens that good Christian people, good men, good women, die after a, a, a good life of labor and serving God and the rest, and the funeral comes and good things are said about them, and the next day and the next day, and the next day, and it's almost as if the person never lived. They're just gone, and they're not in our lives anymore, but that's the way life always has been and always is, and so I think Solomon's kind of looking at it that way and saying, boy, what, you know, and and if, of course, with Solomon, an inspired writer of God's Word, there are things left here for us, and that's a little different in his case, but he's looking at life in general, and then he compares it To the earth. You know, we come and go so quickly, and this earth is the same as it's always been. (laughs) It's just, it's still here, isn't it? I imagine that Solomon uh, probably stood there in Jerusalem and said, Maybe Adam stood on this ground. (laughs) You know, a, a few thousand years ago, he probably stood on this ground right here where I'm standing, and now he's gone and I'm standing on it. Well, how many of you have been to Jerusalem? I've been to Jerusalem. And you walk those streets of that old city and you say, 3,000 years ago, David stood here and Solomon, and 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood right here on this spot. And again, those historical situations where you think, how many generations of people have stood here? They're gone, but here's the ground. Here's the earth. It's still here. So he's kind of asking, what's, what's the point? Of all of this. The earth still remains. There was a cross reference to Psalm 104 in that long psalm that describes God's creation in the world. But it says in verse five, Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? It's still here, and people are gone. You know what my positive thought of this at the at the end of, of verse four is? Then be a good steward of your time, knowing that you can't be here forever. You can't be here for very long. As a matter of fact, how often does the Bible say your, your life is as a vapor that appears for a little time? And, and this could be your last day. Who knows? Uh, who can boast of tomorrow? And so leave good things behind for those generations that are going to come after you. I know we try to do it, but uh, you know, remember uh, the psalmist that said, uh, "Then help us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, even at the end of our lives." I like a verse in Second Peter chapter one, where Peter is getting to the end of his life, and he says, "Moreover, First uh, Peter one fifteen. Moreover, I mean Second Peter one fifteen. Moreover, I will endeavor." That you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. I'm trying to leave something behind, besides my grave marker, <laughs> to have always in remembrance of me. So I say, folks, then do that. I, I think we all kind of get to a place in our lives where we might be saying, you know, most of the things that I'm going to do, I've already done. You know what I mean? I my my vocation my work all of that all of those things that i've done uh, are probably behind me so i need to leave something for my kids and for my grandkids and for their children and for the generations to come so generations come and go number 2 the sun <laughs> rises and sets as a matter of fact now he uh, uh, rather than talking about people so much, he talks about the the world itself, the sun, and then the wind, and then the rivers of water. Isn't it interesting? So, verse five, he says, uh, "The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose." In other words, and it does it again. It the cyclical motions of the earth, the sun. Uh, and we don't, we don't quibble over the, the Bible writers' uses of whether the sun goes down or the earth goes down. Uh, I, I think Solomon knew that as well as he knew that, uh, you know, what the center of the earth was and where the north star was and all of those kinds of things. He's just using his vernacular as you and I do. I talk about a sunrise. I talk about a sunset. I love them, but I realize that we're on this big ferris wheel going around like this and the sun is, is staying in one place so he says that uh, that's what's happening i think back to genesis 1 14 where it says god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to give to divide the day from the night and to give light upon the earth and let them be for signs and seasons and days and years so god did that god made his world that way and, uh, it's there, you know, we're joking here, uh, you know, uh, at this time of the year about whether we ever see the sun on a certain day or not, you know, and when we see the sun for a, a day or so, we think, uh, boy, uh, that's great. The, the sun is out, always out. You know what? The sun is always out. It's just that there's that cloud between us and the sun. And the sun is shining as bright as it ever is. And, and Venus was up there in the morning, just as bright as she ever is, whether you can see her or not. And the moon was, you know, uh, at its waning uh, look this morning, and you couldn't see it. Because God's world is always there, and God's always doing the right thing, whether you and I realize it or not. So, here's a verse, when, uh, and oh yeah, I, I was reading this about the sun these strange things come into your head, right? And I'm thinking of that song, Sunrise Sunset. You know what I mean, right? How how monotonous that song is. And I'm thinking to myself, where did I hear that thing? You know, I'm a child of the '60s, I and mean, all my hippie friends they song, they sung all kinds of crazy songs. I'm thinking, where did I hear that Sunrise Sunset? Ah, uh, it's Fiddler on the Roof. All right, that's where it came from. And Tavia is watching. Uh, Sido get married you know and, and so I, I googled it real quickly and the words of that one phrase goes sunrise sunset is this the little girl I carried is this the little boy at play I don't remember growing older when did they you know kind of an expression of the monotony of life just like uh, Solomon is expressing is expressing here but you know, when, when God flooded the world and he brought that water out of the sky and put it back on the earth like it was originally so that uh, the sky looked different, now there can be a rainbow in the sky, he said this in Genesis 8:22 to Noah after the flood. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease god is in control of those things he's put it there and you know what for our enjoyment so rather than looking at it and saying boy the, everything's monotonous the sun came up yesterday and it came up today and it'll set tonight and it'll set tomorrow night and, and and becoming pessimistic about god's world enjoy it enjoy the moon enjoy the sun enjoy the stars enjoy the days and the seasons that come uh we have them for a reason If you have to live in some place where the seasons never change, that gets pretty boring. Uh, Enjoy enjoy the cycles of it while you can. So sun rises and sets. And then he talks about the wind in verse 6. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. I want to mention just a detail here that uh, you see the the two words that begin verse 6, the wind, are actually not in the Hebrew text. They could be in italics even. And since that's true, it's supplied by the translators to put the first part of verse 6 under the idea of wind. But some think that the first part of verse 6 goes with the sun. And if you look at it that way, think of it this way. You know, the sun hastens to the place where it arose, it goes to the south, turns around and comes back to the north. You can see how that could describe the the sun uh, in its winter solstice and its summer solstice. Could be, but we'll take it as, as the translators have it here. The wind uh, goes everywhere, doesn't it? You remember what Jesus said, John 3 verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it But you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you know what? In chapter 11 of this book we're reading, and verse 5, Solomon will say, As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. And he'll kind of come to his own answer here. Uh, you may not know where the wind goes or where it comes from, but God does. Now, one thing I know about the wind, though, and that is when I'm driving across Kansas, if I'm going west, that wind's coming east. And if I'm coming east, that wind's going west. Now, I know that much. Other than that in the world, I don't know anything about, about the wind. Uh, but the wind is fickle, isn't it? As a matter of fact... The wind doesn't care about you or me, does it? The wind is going to do what it does on a windy day, on a still day. Hurricanes really don't care what's in their path. Now, they're created by the wind, but that's the wind. And uh, you can either get hurt by it or get out of the way. Tornadoes will come across the land, and they don't care what's in their path, whether you are or somebody else. It's just the way it is. Jonah was in a storm. Now, of course, God brought that storm, but, but uh, what can a sailor do when the, when the storm comes? Paul and his companions were on board that ship, and they were driven by that wind out into the sea until they actually crashed in the boat. It's just the wind is that way. So Solomon's looking at things like that and saying, well, you know, if those things come and go and I don't make a difference to them, why am I here, so to speak? Can you kind of see a, a pessimistic person even in our day saying, well, where's God in all of this? You know, and, and if there's a loving God, if there's a purpose to this world, why that tragedy? Why does this happen? Why doesn't God stop this? Why did he let this happen to me and those, those kinds of things? I've got a remedy for this one, too. You know what it is? Go fly a kite. I, I mean by that. You can't fly a kite without wind. Sail across the ocean. You can't sail without wind. And people in those days knew that. You know, nowadays we can without wind, but they can't. Put up a wind generator if you want some electricity. No, don't do that. I. We've got enough of those things out there. But you know what I do notice when I go out across Kansas and I get to that ugly place where all those wind generators, and I'm saying, what a shame that we ruined this beautiful landscape. But you know what, you know what's still spotted out across the plains? Are those old uh, windmills that people had to water their crops or cattle with. And uh they found out a way to put some mechanical pump down in the bottom of a well and let the wind turn that blade around so that that pump works and the water's brought up for the cattle to drink. You know? And you got, still have a few of those lonely little things out there on the plains. So what I'm saying is, use the wind then. Use it for, for God's glory. Use it to be a good steward of the land that you live on and and all of that. Nahum, in his prophecy, in chapter 1, verse 3, said, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. When all at all acquit the wicked, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. God has his way in all of those things. So I just say, get with God and use those things uh, to God's glory and for your purposes. Then the rivers, verse 7. All of the rivers then run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Did you ever think about that? To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. The, this hydrological cycle of water just continues and has forever. I often, you know, we live near a large river. Of course, in Kansas City here, uh, we the the Missouri River comes right through, uh, right through town, or uh, some. You know, I probably cross the Mississippi over here once or twice a year anyway, and maybe you do also. And I often cross that much water coming down a river. And I'm thinking to myself, that river has been here as long as the earth has been here, or at least since the flood anyway. That water's still been coming. And I think to myself, where does it all come from? You can go up the Mississippi, up into northern Minnesota, and stand at what they call the place, the beginning of the the Mississippi River. There's a little stream here, a little stream over there. You think, where does all this water come from? And yet it keeps coming. I had to look these things up because I was curious. Right now, seven, the Earth, uh, 71% of the Earth's surface is covered with water. 71%. That's a, lo- that's a lot of water. The seas and the oceans hold 97% of all the water that's on the Earth. It's all out there in the ocean and in those seas. Isn't that amazing? In the atmosphere that carries the rain, that drops the snow and, and drops the rain on the mountain, Point zero 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 one percent of the water is actually in the sky and in the atmosphere. Not very much when you think about it going back up into the sky and dropping again on the mountains and so forth. And the fresh waters of the rivers and the lakes is only 3% of all the water on the earth. And so God uses this cycle to give us what we need and to water his earth and to water his ground and to bring it by. You could be pretty pessimistic. Well, Lord, we want some more water up there. Not, not usually, <laughs> but sometimes we do, right? We want more water in the sky. Sometimes we want less water. Sometimes we want more snow on the mountains. Sometimes we want less snow on the mountains. To you and I, it's a pain. To uh, Colorado, it's white gold You know, for uh, people out there. So this cycle, and, and the Bible talks about it often. There's a verse in, in uh, Psalm 90 where uh, Moses, who wrote that psalm, says it like this. You remember it. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. As far as God's concerned, time is insignificant. But then he says, of those years, you carry them away like a flood or it could be like a river. They are like a sleep. even. In the morning, the grass grows up and then it, it goes away in the daytime. In other words, time is like a river just it goes by and we don't know where it comes from and once it goes by you you don't get it back again it's like that now Isaac Watts one of my favorite songwriters uh, wrote a song that we sing often uh, "O God our help in ages past and it's in verse three that he said time is like an ever rolling stream bears all its sons away They lie forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Time comes and time goes. People that we knew were here, and now they're gone just like that water in the river comes down, and now it's gone away. And time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. So what's the remedy to it? I say see God's providence in all the cycles of life. See his providence, meaning see how God uses these for his reason. I'll read you Isaiah 55, 9 through 11, which is a good example of this very thing I'm talking about, where God compares his providence to the word of God. He says in Isaiah 55, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down... And the snow from heaven and returns there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Then he says, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so I say, with Isaiah and, of course, the Lord Himself, see God's providence in all of these cycles and everything He does, that He brings about His purpose in His time, and at the time that we live, somehow we're connected to it right now. Somehow we're brought into this cycle of things to accomplish something right now. Uh, This is our mandate, if you will, uh, to live in the world we live in. And so from these first four things, here are three blessings, if you will. Number one, the blessing is God doesn't change, does he? Though the earth changes, though the rivers change, uh, though the, the planets go around, God is immutable. God doesn't change. You can count on that. Number two, the word of God never changes. It endures forever. And so this book that we read and its principles and its teachings will always be good. It was good 3,000 years ago for Solomon, and it's good for us today. And I say also, it's a blessing that God's world does what it does. My message this morning was on reaping and sowing. And the, the reason we can count on reaping what we sow is because God made the world to operate in the way he made it. You can count on the wind. You can count on the water. You can count on the sun and the moon and the stars for the seasons. You can count on all these because God made them. I know that Solomon came to that conclusion. You know, when you walk away from God and things aren't going right in your life and things are all messed up or you're going through some really difficult time, you're apt to say, God, why me? And why does this happen? And why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And it's not a good time in the believer's life. And that's what Solomon's saying. When you get to that kind of time in your life. And he was there, but he got out of it. All right. Secondly, I think verses 8 through 11 and these four things that, that uh, he's saying nothing is new. How boring, <laughs> how boring is this? First of all, man always wants new things. All things, verse 8, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. Well, that's true. We work all of our lives, right? We get up, we go to work, we come home. We do it until we die. And then he says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Interesting look, you know. My eye still wants to see more. and and I'm glad I can see. I need trifocals to do it, but I'm glad I'm I'm glad that I can see and my ears though they're getting worse too still want to hear. Why do you go on a vacation? Why do you get in your car and drive across the country? Your eyes want to see something they hadn't seen before. That's why. You want to see some place in this world, some place in this beautiful country that you haven't seen yet. So your your eyes want to take you there. And why do you watch so much television? (laughs) Because your eyes and your ears want more stuff in it. Go to a concert, uh, you know, listen to some lecture, whatever it is, you just can't quite get enough. And it's worse now that we have cell phones because we, we, we don't talk much. We don't do much. We just sit and let our eyes and our ears swallow up more and more and more, don't we? And, and Solomon is looking at this. You, re, you remember, uh, don't you, uh, when Paul got to Athens and uh, Luke records in Acts 17, 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell and to hear some new thing exactly what what uh, uh, Solomon is saying here they just sat up on that hill just so they could hear something they haven't heard before and I think we can get we can get kind of that way too you know the The Israelites, I've been reading, uh, I'm in Exodus in my Old Testament reading. They they got out of Egypt, and they got out there in the desert, and uh, they said, we want something new. So God said, you know, all right, you're complaining so much, I'm going to give you bread on the ground as far as you can see, and quail stacked up three feet high on the ground. And they said, that'd be great. They eat that for a while, and they say, you know, we're tired of this bread. (laughs) We're tired of this quail between our teeth we want something new. That's just people, isn't it? And, and we can get that way also in God's world. What's the remedy to that? Flip the page with me to chapter 3 and verse 11. We'll get to this verse. You know, chapter 3, when you glance down through it, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, and so forth. But look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. But you see that phrase? That's been a a very key and, and special phrase that people point out. God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something inside man who is created in God's image that can't get away from the thought, where do I go after I die? What's waiting for me out there? Well, to a believer, I'm just saying, that should be a blessing. To a believer, it ought to be, that's great. (laughs) Because you know what? There's a new thing for me to see. There's a new thing for my ears to hear when I get there. You remember of course 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It is written, "I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him." And so I say, see everything you can in God's beautiful world, hear what you can hear that's good. But always remember, you're going to a place that for eternity, your eyes won't be able to see enough. Your ears won't be able to hear enough of God's glory and God's beauty and God's truth. And that's where we're going. So keep that in mind. So man wants new things. And in verse 9, one problem is man can't create new things. That which has been is what will be. And that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. That same old expression. We can't create anything new. Whatever has been done in the past will be done in the future. Well, is that true? Well, yes, it is. But in these next two points, that and verse 10, which says man can't see new things, uh, there's kind of two ways to look at that. I read somebody quoting Rudyard Kipling. Uh, who said it like this. The craft that we call modern, the times that we call new, John Bunyan had them typed and filed in 1682. <laughs> when, when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he talked about all these things. And it, it's really hard for you to write out anything that hasn't been written before. It's just the way it is. Well, there's some good things about that. Uh, the fact is, that it that things can be true and what is true today can be true tomorrow what was true a thousand years ago can be true today it's not right what the postmoderns tell us that that uh you know we create truth or there's no such thing as absolute truth and all of those kinds of of phrases the fact is we can we can use god's truth let me ask you this can man fly yet well, I flew from Denver to Kansas City. But no, <laughs> I can't. But you know what? By man using the tools that God left us in this world, we can fly. Can, can man live underwater? <laughs> now you know what I'm getting at. No, but yes. Because using the principles and the science and the tools and the truths that God has left from one generation to the other, we can. there are, there are our sailors who get in a submarine and they're there for over a year. It's a, it's a city underwater and, and uh, without even refueling. Can we go to the moon? Yeah, we can do that now. Can we preach the gospel instantly around the world? I'm doing it, I guess, through this thing that is going to an Internet somewhere. And if somebody really was wanting to, on the other side of the world, they could hear my voice right now. Hi. And if you're there, let me know. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that 50 years ago even? That, that we didn't create anything new, but we used the tools that God left us in this world to bring glory to him. And so we have a great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We can do it now in great ways. I realize that whatever can be used for good in this world, somebody's going to use it for bad. And that has always been true too. And we just have to live with that. But let's use what we can for good. Verse number 10, man can't see new things. Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. See, this is new. Also, someone I was reading quoted uh, Thomas Edison. So Edison uh, was our greatest inventor, you know, and and we talk about did did he invent new things? (laughs) Well, yes and no. Uh, We didn't have some of those things before, but here's the quote from Edison himself. He said that his inventions were only, quote, bringing out the secrets of nature and applying them for the happiness of mankind. I'm not really doing anything new. I'm just finding the secrets of God's world and bringing them out to help people and make them happier. And so I'm glad. Thank you, uh, Thomas, for doing that and other inventors. But the point is that man can't create, but we can use what is there for our good. And you can use it for evil, too. And people always will. As I said, uh, we, we have this expression, AI, artificial intelligence and uh, you know, my kids have been texting and emailing back and forth with articles about it because, you know, it's kind of a new thing, and I'm trying to read some things on it, too. But artificial intelligence, you know, is something that now we hear all the time. I I was, uh, you know, trying out some new hearing aids, by the way. Th- thank the Lord that, uh, you know, uh, I can't hear any better than I used to, but these things in my ear you know, our gadgets that somebody invented. And this guy says, well, when when you hear this sound, AI takes over and helps you hear it. That's exactly what he said. AI takes over. (laughs) And I know what he's talking about, but I want to say, and who is Mr. AI? Who do I have to go to to take over? Well, the fact is that a computer, and whether all the world's computers are hooked together or not, are just a series of dots and dashes. I don't know the technical terms for all that, but it's just a series of marks that people have invented to store knowledge and to retrieve that knowledge. Nobody's invented anything new. They just have a good way of using it for good things. I'm glad for computers. I'm glad for cell phones. I'm glad for these kinds of things. I'm sad for a lot of the evil things that will be, they, they are used for and will be used for, but let's try to use these things for good. What you sow, you reap. If you will sow it in a good way, you can reap it in a good way, and you can do it in a bad way also. There's a verse in 1 Peter 4, 19, where Peter says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. In this world that we live in, commit your souls to the one who created this world and knows all about it because nothing is new to him and he can do what he wants as a faithful creator. So we have one more, right? And that's number 11. There is no remembrance of former things. That wasn't hard for me to figure out. There's no remembrance of, of nor, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come afterwards. We can't remember those old things. They come and they go. And what do we know about them? It's history now. Maybe somebody wrote it down somewhere. Uh, maybe that's so. But, uh, you know, our memory comes and goes, our knowledge of history comes and goes. Somebody said if you, if those who, who forget history are doomed to repeat it, and no doubt we repeat it often. What's a remedy to that? Remember that God does remember. As a matter of fact, God knows what you're thinking right now. And he will bring every thought into judgment someday. That's what God remembers. And so in uh, chapter 12 and verse 14, what is the whole duty of man? Here's how Solomon will conclude. What's the whole duty of man? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or bad. You may not be able to remember, the world may not be able to remember, but God remembers. And since he does, then serve him. Now, I also got interested in uh, a personality, and I want to I end my message with a little history lesson here. Do you know the name Blaise Pascal or Blaise Pascal? He, from the 1600s, he was born in 1623. And here's his story. He was a child prodigy. He was a a, 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 we would call a genius, a French young man, a scientist, a mathematician, an inventor. And at age 15, he was in the Academy of Science in Paris at age 15 and invented the first digital calculating machine and led to the invention of the barometer, the vacuum pump, the air compressor, the syringe, the hydraulic press back in the early 1600s as a young man. He wrote on theorems, on volumes, on probabilities, and things like that. And grew up, of course, in kind of a godless world in this world that he was in until someone showed him the Gospel of John. And one day, he took John 17... And he went to his room, and he read John 17, 3, that says, And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And in his own writings, evidently, Pascal got down on his knees and surrendered his life to the Lord right there after reading that verse. And then he wrote this. And so I I take it that this is uh, is the way uh, I read it. In the year, here's what he read right at his conversion. In the year of grace, 1654, on Monday, 23rd of November, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers, not of the scholars, certitude, feeling of joy, peace, tears of joy, and then he quotes it again. This is the eternal life that you may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then he says, let me never be separated from him. Now, Pascal wrote a book called Penzies. You can can go to Barnes & Noble and buy it. It's a paperback called Penzi's, and it's an interesting little book. I have it, and I read it long ago. And he's known for what's called Pascal's Wager, I read it again uh, uh, yesterday, so I'm going to put it in layman's language because the way he did it, you know, it's like somebody asked Einstein one time, can you explain the the theory of relativity? And he says, yes, but no one will understand it, so let me give it to you this way. (laughs) And so here's what he said. Here's Pascal's wager. If you believe that there is no God, and I believe that there is a God, you believe that there is no God and you die. If there is no God, you've gained nothing. If there is a God, you have lost everything. But he says, I believe that there is a God, and I die. If there is no God, I've lost nothing. But if there is a God, I have gained everything. And then Pascal said, you must wager it is not optional. You decide before you die which way you think is right. And Pascal also said this, and I'll close with this. And I think it's a good conclusion of what we've been reading tonight. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but by God alone made known through Jesus Christ. We all have, and he was the inventor of vacuum-type things. We have this God-shaped vacuum, and there's nothing in this world that can fill that. And if you try to do it, you'll be miserable. The only one who can fill that vacuum is God through knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right, stand now with me, if you will. Boy, wise people, but it really comes down to the fact that their wisdom is either with God or it's not at all, isn't it? That's what, that's what we learn. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words from Solomon. Thank you, Father, for this book that we have. Uh, It's a difficult book. Uh, We're having to work at it. Help us, Father, to, to mine the truth out of it right and truthfully. And then, Father, encourage our hearts as we, follow the thoughts of your inspired writer and we try to apply them to the world in which we live and to ourselves. Help us to do that. And may we be better servants of yours and more effective because we've done it. So bless in the thoughts that we have tonight as we turn to you in our prayers and in our song. Receive glory and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.